Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? That's where it comes to the forgotten people. Let's just peel back the layers here for a second and realise that we actually can do really small things on an individual level or have conversations with small groups of people that could make a significant difference and make the world a better place. Beck Mitchell is an inspiring young Australian. She is an experienced youth worker, having spent the last two decades with Bridge Builders Youth Charity, where she is currently a director. Beck is an endurance athlete who specialises in ultra-marathon events and is also the host of her own podcast called Run With Soul. In 2020, Beck represented Australia in the World Marathon Challenge, which involves running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. That's just madness in my mind. That's ridiculous. Oh, I want to find out more about that. In 2021, Beck was then recruit number nine in the reality TV show SAS Australia. She was one of 14 everyday Aussies chosen to attempt the military-style selection course called Held Week. Beck is a highly engaging speaker who is passionate about helping people know their value and achieve their dreams. She's had a really interesting life, which started with quite a unique upbringing, which I'm keen to hear more about. Let's meet Beck Mitchell. Beck, how divine to sit down with you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. So if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? It would be to talk about the forgotten people. And I know that that sounds like a really strange sentence, but really at the end of the day, there are so many people all over the world that I think really could do with our help. And it's so easy in, as an example, in my everyday life to sort of go about the things that I do and not necessarily think about some of the situations and some of the challenges that other people are facing. And that's probably why I term it the forgotten people, because they really do get forgotten about. And I think about that in my own sort of personal journey and my own personal sort of everyday life. And that's where I sort of get to the point where I go, these people need assistance and they need our help and they need people to rise up and to be their voice and to give them the assistance that they need. But I just don't think that we're having the conversations about it and for a variety of different reasons that are all probably very legitimate. But I just, I really wish as a society, as a community, as individuals, we would have more conversation about the people that are struggling. Mm, so, so you are a youth worker. You're a director of the Bridge Builders Youth Charity. So is this where this formulation of the idea about the forgotten people has come from? Is that where that stems from, Beck? with working with kids? Yeah, look, it definitely has a, a lot to do with it. Over the 20 years that I've been involved in the charity, I've, I've seen a lot of young people here in Australia go through different struggles and, and I'm really passionate about helping people be the best version of themselves and learn how to overcome those challenges. But more so than that, I guess, outside of the realm of Australia, like I just feel like 
we're so blessed here as well. So it's like that balanced conversation between, yes, I know we have our own struggles and I've seen, you know, what it's like for young people to face those over the last two decades. But when you start to sort of grow in capacity as a person and start to think outside of your own realm, then you really do start to realise that we're actually the lucky ones. (laughs) And I feel like here in Australia, I just have, I personally am pretty blessed and I have access to a lot of resources that people in other places and spaces would only dream of having. So yeah, it's definitely been part of my journey as a youth worker and I've learned to have a lot of empathy and understanding for what other people go through for sure. But yeah, I guess it's just that you get to that point where you realise that life is a bit bigger than you and there's so many more people out there that are facing different circumstances that we actually have the potential to help. Mm. And when you talk about helping, what do you mean by that? Like what's your version, you know, someone listening going, yeah, sure, that's great. There's lots of stuff going on in the world. Like how can I make a difference? I'm just one little person sitting here, you know, and been doing my thing and whatever. What's your kind of advice to that and how can one small little person make a difference in your mind? Yeah, it's such a challenging question. And when we start to think through some of the examples of what that might look like, Like I'll just give one clear example if I can, and that's the Syrian refugee crisis. So up until about two years ago, I didn't even know it existed and it's been going for a decade. And there's millions of people that are displaced in this tragedy and I feel like nobody's even talking about it. Here we're really dictated by what the media chooses to show us and, you know, I know there's lots and lots of really challenging things that are happening and there's always wars and tragedies that we're hearing about. But I actually think that that's part of the problem. You know, it's so easy to turn on the TV or to open a, a news feed and we're always being bombarded with the bad news stories. And so we're almost oversensitive to the topic of what's going on elsewhere. And it's it's a real challenge to be able to kind of wade through all of that information and all of those things and get to the point where we go, how can we actually have a conversation that's going to help these people? And I almost feel like we're not having the conversation because there's too much like there's just too much going on already. You know, it's, it feels so overwhelming some days when we've got our own challenges, when the media is just feeding us all of this stuff and it's like, okay, how do we navigate this? And not having the conversation because we're overwhelmed I think is actually one of the contributing factors to why we're not talking about this. But I got asked that question of like, what would you want society to talk more about? I just kept thinking to myself, like when's the last time I got together with a group of five or ten of my best mates and had a conversation about a challenge going on in another country and how we as an individual group might be able to help fix that. And I thought, I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> like this is just not happening. And so I know it's overwhelming and, and there's reasons why we're not having the conversation. But some of the topics that I guess we could delve into are things like slavery and you've got the world drug trade and you've got so many really big poverty issues and it's like it just feels all too big some days and we go oh it's exhausting to even think about let alone have a conversation about and let alone how do we fix this but I think that's the problem and that's one of the things that we need to address is like let's just peel back the layers here for a second and realize that we actually can do really small things on an individual level or have conversations with small groups of people that could make a significant difference and and make the world a better place. Yeah, it's interesting to start that conversation, isn't it? Like maybe it's there's a lot, as you say, you've just given five or six examples that there's a lot going on and maybe finding a topic that you're particularly passionate about. One of the things I'm finding is that people are quite opinionated about stuff but they haven't really done the work to actually learn and educate themselves on particular topics and often they are fed information through TikTok 
not even, you know, I mean, mind you, news streams aren't always, you know, they're one-sided as well in lots of cases. So people get their news from different ways, but I sort of try and encourage you to look in non-traditional components of actually going, well, actually ask some people that have dealt with that sort of stuff or ask people that work in that space. And and then sitting down and having that conversation to say, well, what can we do as a group of mates, you know, instead of just drinking, you know, having a a wine at the pub or whatever. <laughs> and I'm all for a wine, like, but have wine and have the conversation at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but it's an interesting topic. And I think the other thing that comes to mind when you're talking about that, this is always a challenge I've had is, you know, my mum, bless her, she passed away and I was quite young, but she used to always have that comment of, you know, charity begins at home. And when we are the lucky country, we're incredibly lucky here in Australia, but there are a lot of problems here as well. And so you kind of go, all right, we're spending all this money, all this time, all this effort fixing stuff overseas. There's a lot of homelessness here. There's a lot of challenges. You know, domestic violence is a big one. Like, what are we doing about that here as well, right? So, and it doesn't have to be or in my mind. It can be and. You know, that's the way I kind of tackle it. Like, we can tackle some stuff at home and we can help Syrian refugees as well because we are incredibly lucky to be born in this country versus other countries that are going through, you know, war-torn sort of experiences. But how do you tackle that yourself? How do you deal with that? Mm. To me, it comes back to the capacity to actually be in a position to be able to help others, whether that is at home or overseas. Like you said, we've all, we're all facing our own challenges and I, I'm living in that same reality. We're all living through the cost of living crisis. There's a lot of people that are trying to put a roof over their head and put food on the table and I get that. And so, you know, even in my work as a professional speaker, a lot of the time I'm trying to help people find a way to overcome obstacles that they're facing. Like it's that whole resilience piece around we've got to face the challenges that are relative to us. And it's about helping and encouraging people that that's possible. Like I just, there's so many people that I talk to that are facing challenges that don't know how to do that, right? And so they don't actually have the capacity to start to think, how can I have a conversation to help other people? Because there's so much in front of them that they've got to overcome, so many walls they've got to climb before they can get to that point of how can I look outside myself and be available as a resource to someone else. So I think the first place to start is, like you said, charity starts at home. It's got to start with us as an individual. And there are really simple things that we can do. And I think people are really smart. And when they get together <laughs> and they have a conversation about it, you know, I was I was talking to a friend of mine about the Syrian refugee crisis and they didn't know about it either. And, and I just said, like, what's something that we can do? And we were brainstorming. And at the end of the day, I just thought, okay, I've got a phone. I've got an Instagram profile. I'm going to put a video up and I'm going to talk about it. But I wanted an initiative for someone else to follow. I don't know if I came up with it. Someone might have done this already, but I did some research and I couldn't find it anywhere. I called it Coffees for Real Change. And I simply encourage people to skip buying a coffee every day for five days of the working week take that 25 bucks or 30 bucks at the end of the week and donate it to an organization on the ground doing something about a problem that you feel passionate about. And that was incredible. Like that was great to be able to do that personally. And you can think, oh, 25 bucks isn't going to make much of a difference. But if a thousand people do that, and it's so easy, it's so small, but you have to just take that time to have the conversation and brainstorm the ideas and go, okay, you know, this is something that I care about. Like you're saying, everyone's going to be passionate about different things. And this is one little example of, of something that I can do to actually feel like I'm chipping away at this. I'm not going to solve the problem overnight. These are big topics. They've been around for a long time and that, you know, it's going to take a lot to fix these, but 
individually, it's so frustrating to feel like you don't have the power or that you're powerless to fix it. And I think if we stopped for a second and, and started to have these conversations and broke them down a little bit, and I guess that comes from having capacity to start with. So yeah, you're right. There is that balance between we have to be able to support our people here in Australia to be able to then have the capacity to look outside of ourselves as well. So I definitely understand the balance in that conversation. Yeah, and I think also people underestimate the difference they can make, you know, just by something simple like being kinder to others and that may be just, you know, a person that delivers you the coffee or someone, you know, let someone else have the car park or, you know, like all these things that you can do every day. And there's just this tiny little mind shift I find. It's like, okay, I'm going to have a positive, nice day today. It started bad, so I'm going to have to be really proactive about, you know, how I can be kinder to others. And then that just starts to snowball has been my experience. And you watch others do that. And then how, how does that go wider? How can I help people at work? How can I then do extra things out of my working environment like you do with, you know, charities and stuff? So I think there are a lot of things that people can do when they kind of go, oh, it's too much. I can't make a difference. I'm like, actually, every single person, it takes us all. We actually all need to do it to be able to make a difference. I'm curious about, you touched on there about your own journey and being the forgotten people. And you're an endurance athlete. You've obviously are kind of used to doing hard stuff, I guess. Like you did the whole seven marathons in seven continents in seven days. Like I've never heard like the crazy, crazy stuff. I'd love to kind of dig into that a little bit more. But what is your story though as well, Beck, of, you know, how you got here? How have you found some of your biggest challenges in life? Because I imagine, you know, those endurance athletic stuff is a lot, but obviously there's a lot of history before that, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Look, in a in a two-minute, you know, snapshot of some of the challenges that I've faced throughout my life. When I was younger, I grew up on a farm and I didn't go to school. I had an older sister and a twin brother and all three of us, we just worked a farm. You know, we looked after the animals, we built the sheds, we did all the things that you do on farm life. And it wasn't until I was about 10 years old, I sat in formal education for the first time in my life and realized that I was really different to everybody else. <laughs> Did you, what do you mean though, Beck? Did you have parents or? Yeah, yeah, they friends? were there, but yeah. they just, I don't know, they, they just saw the education system different. And obviously, you know, we were working on the farm and that just kind of seemed like the right decision at the time. So where, where did you grow up? Just in Mount Evelyn here in Victoria. Okay. Yeah, eastern suburbs. So it was just a really unusual, really unique experience. And to get to the age of 10 and not be able to even spell my own name, like I knew I was in trouble. And it's it's taken a long time to overcome the academic side of that challenge. I, I didn't get kept down, which was a miracle. Went through high school, finished my VCE, went on to complete other TAFE stuff. And it just really goes to show that even though, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from and it doesn't matter what your background is, you can still get through some really challenging stuff and get on the other side of that. And I think that taught me resilience at a really young age because you just, mm. there's, there's not really much option other than giving up. <laughs> and, you know, throughout my high school experience, I got a, you know, I was bullied a lot and um, had an eating disorder when I was in VCE with the stress of that. So yeah, just some really big challenges, I guess, in my growing up that taught me that we can actually get through really, really tough situations. And that's probably where the endurance pieces come from, because I realized that we have actually incredible capacity as people. And that comes from my own journey as well. And, you know, I've had my, my times where I've felt down and out and like the obstacles are just insurmountable and you're just not going to make it. Running a marathon in the Antarctic was definitely much like that. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I've, it's all the endurance stuff and all of my journey has taught me that every single one of us are truly capable of more than what we think. And I love how you were talking before about we actually can, we can do something about some of these challenges. We can be kinder to one another. We can, and it's about learning how to do that and how to overcome some of the challenges that we're facing and, and grow in that capacity to then be able to take on more. So yeah, that's just a bit of a snapshot. Did you feel that you were forgotten? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just sort of blended into the background and it was probably more that I just didn't really think there was much in tomorrow. You know, there was not a lot of purpose. There was not a re- lot of reason to to keep going if life was always going to be this hard. <laughs> and, you know, I can compare that journey to, to what other people go through in other countries. And I know that there are some pretty disastrous situations other people have faced and I'm, it's not about comparison, but when it's relative, you know, that was my world. And yeah, it was a definite challenge for sure. Mm, quite incredible wow there's so many so many things in that space (laughs) like if you met me back then I was such a quiet shy kind of kid in the corner and I've grown into this sort of really confident person who I know a little bit more about who I am and and what I'm trying to do with my life and how I'm trying to use it to actually really inspire and help other people and I could have never imagined you know what I mean like I just I could have never thought that I would be here having done things like represent Australia in the in the triple seven and I'm just some kid from a farm in Mount Evelyn. And so I really do think my story is testament to it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you go through. We all have struggles. We all have challenges. We have to learn how to overcome, but we can, we can overcome them. And we actually are capable of that. And what about your family now? What do your brother and sister and your parents and that do like in terms of you essentially becoming this butterfly, like you've come (laughs) completely out of your shell and grown and making this massive impact on the world, which is just beautiful. How do they deal with that? For some reason, lots of people in my family like the cold. My sister has done a lot of work in the Antarctic as a scientist as well. <laughs> and uh, my mum loves Tassie. So they're always going south into the into the colder regions. But I'm I'm someone who loves the sun. So I'm like, take me to the Bahamas. <laughs> I could, I, there's just no way. 12 hours in the Antarctic is enough for me. There's no way I'm going back there. But I think everyone in our family, particularly the kids, three of us, we've all done something pretty great in our own kind of field. And and I think that is as a result of, you know, learning how to work hard and become resilient at a young age. So, yeah, I'm pretty proud of them as well. Yeah, amazing. And so in the depths of some of your endurance training and the, like you say, like you're doing a marathon in Antarctica and it's tough, what does that type of stuff teach you about yourself? Like what can you learn about yourself when you're in in the thick of that? Oh, hundreds of things. <laughs> I love endurance sport. I think it pushes our mind to the edge. I think it pushes our body to the edge. And you can learn so much about yourself as a person as well as, you know, what you can then bring to other people. One of my favourite parts about the whole experience in any endurance sport is like finding a way forward. And, you know, you can call it resilience and you can you can name it whatever you like, but really is sometimes it is hard in like everyday life to just keep going. And I'll give you a really quick story. I was running an ultramarathon in the Lara Pinta Trail out in the middle of Alice Springs before the Triple Seven. It was like my trial event and I was three days in and I'd all my feet had just got covered in blisters. I had the wrong shoes, wrong socks. The conditions were really hot and it was just not a good thing. <laughs> and we're in the middle of nowhere, you know, and I got to the top of a, a mountain 
and I just, I'd kind of given up on myself and I just went and sat on a rock because I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> like a lizard, like a lizard in Alice Springs. <laughs> yep. And it was hot and it was sunny and it was just, I'm in the middle of this desert and it's just me and I take off my shoes and my socks and I can just, I'm staring at this problem and I'm thinking I'm not going to make it. But then I sat there and I thought to myself, no one's coming to rescue me. Like there's no helicopter that's going to come and pick me up just because I got a strip legs and at the time it was painful. It was it was really hard to think through like how am I going to make it to the finish line? But it's in the really small steps. So I just I put my socks back on and I put my shoes back on. And even though it was painful, I found a way to just stand on my feet and get up and keep running, even though it was really, really hard. And it's those sorts of things that then I take into the situations that I face on a daily basis or the ones that I can encourage other people that they're going through is that there is always a way forward. And sometimes we can't see that. Even if there's no light at the end of the tunnel, there's always a way forward. And endurance sports has absolutely taught me that without question. And I imagine you would use all that skill and, you know, everything you've learned and done in a show like SAS. You were on the SAS Australia thing. Now, I just have to admit, Beck, I've never watched the show. I've seen the ads and stuff, but my colleague in my studio, Val, loves it. So she's going to love that I'm meeting with you today. But what was that experience like? Because not only are you dealing with endurance and tough stuff, you've also got the complexity that you're getting videoed and it's like a game and then they're cutting stuff to, you know, make a story out of stuff that's often not a story. Like what was your experience like being on a show like that? It was a once in a lifetime experience, that's for sure. Yeah, look, it's, it is very different to kind of what we see as sitting on the couch at home. One of the things that I would say is that they don't run it like a shot. They run it like a military selection course. So the cameras didn't really exist to a degree. We didn't, it just wasn't like a show, like a normal kind of, well, I've not been on any other show to have a comparison, but, but it was really, it was just about the selection process. So I was a bit naive going in, even though I'd watched it a little bit myself. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I actually really liked talking about the SAS journey because, you know, I did see myself as someone who was resilient and strong enough to be standing at the end. And ultimately I failed the course. And so it's this really interesting conversation of how I wasn't able to use, you know, those sort of things that I'd learned in a situation like that that was pretty extreme. And my failure wasn't actually failing the course. My failure was in lack of preparation. So I went in, you know, on the back of the World Marathon Challenge feeling like, you know, I'm Beck Mitchell and I'm, I've just conquered the world and I can do anything. And of course, I'm going to be at the end of this course. And it's amazing how that process is designed to break you down, <laughs> like physically, mentally, to the point where, you know, you want to give up. And it's such an interesting lesson that I learned in that whole process because I didn't prepare. I didn't give the course what it deserved. I didn't go in thinking like and give it my best. I, I went in a little bit arrogant and just sort of being like, no, stuff this. Um, of course I'm going to be there at the end. Like I'm Beck Mitchell. I can do anything. And that arrogance really tripped me up and just reminded me that we really do always have to show up and put the work in. Like we have to respect the things that we're working towards. You know, I'm training for an Ironman at the moment and I'm training because I, I know from my experience on SAS, if you don't train, you're going to turn up on race day and it's going to be all bad. So yeah, I think sometimes in life we can kind of rely on our past success to determine our future success. And and on SAS, I learned that that's just not life. That's not how it goes. <laughs> if you want to be successful tomorrow, you have to keep showing up today. I think that's really important. Yeah, beautiful lessons to learn as well, right? Like in an environment like that. And it's so intense. Just that, you know, it's like life lessons in a few weeks. It's great. <laughs> like, I was full on. I probably wouldn't do it again. Like it's pretty brutal. 
I'm glad I did it. It's one of those things that I think you know, it was good to do and I obviously learned a lot from it. But, yeah, it's, it's super, super, super challenging and probably more so than what I originally thought. Mm, amazing. Now, Beck, let's circle back around then to the forgotten people and the message you want people to be left with today. So how is it that, you know, you feel that we can all make a difference in this space and look out for others? Yeah, making a difference, I think, really comes back to us having the capacity to do that. So, you know, I would first encourage people that whoever's listening and whatever you're going through, like you have the ability to make a difference. You have the ability to overcome whatever challenges that you're facing in your own life and and you can actually make a significant difference, whether that's just being kind to someone or whether that's doing something overseas. Either way, you know, we actually do have the capacity and the ability to help others and sometimes we don't necessarily feel like that. I would try and not be so bombarded by all the stuff going on around us. Like I would encourage people to turn the dial down on the volume. (laughs) You know, we can be really selective around the stuff that we take in and the things that we watch and I think if we're doing more positive things and we're listening to less of the negative, we actually, yeah, we grow in our capacity to help others and then we often get caught in the trap or, you know, sometimes when I'm talking on stage, people are like, oh, I've got to do more. No, you've got to do less. <laughs> like stop filling our world. And I, I don't want to sound patronising, but even I have to do that. Like I have to turn the dial down on my social media. I have to turn the dial down on the news channel. I have to turn down the dial on some of the stuff that makes me not feel great. And then I have to turn it up on things that are going to feed me and make me feel better about myself and give me the capacity to then be able to help other people. You know, I first look after myself and then when I have that ability, when I have that tank, like if my tank is full, I can go around sprinkling the dust of encouragement on everybody else. But if I don't have something to draw from and I'm not doing things that I love and I'm not, you know, filling that tank, it's very hard to then think about, oh, how am I going to help somebody else? So yeah, if we can somehow learn to turn down the distractions in our world and the things that just bombard us in everyday life, then it sort of puts us in a much better position to be able to reach out and and help other people. And that's where it comes to the forgotten people because I'm so acutely aware that I, irrespective of the challenges I face in everyday life, I personally am incredibly blessed. And it's not just because I have a roof over my head and food on the table, but I'm in Australia and I feel like I have access to resources that can help people. But I think we're just failing to have the conversation at a at an individual level or at a, at a friendship level or over a wine at a dinner table, you know, if we just took two minutes to say, hey, this is a problem and it's not somebody else's responsibility and there's probably one simple thing that we can do today to help chip away at this. It's not going to solve it, but it is going to make us feel like we really are making significant change in the life of somebody else. And and at the end of the day, isn't that what we're all here for? We all want to leave a legacy. We all want to make a difference. We all want to live a life that is somehow significant in some way. And a way that we can do that is just by having a conversation. It's got to start with conversation because there's no action if there's no conversation. <laughs> so true. Yeah, Beck, just beautiful to chat with you today. We could talk for hours. So thank you so much for sharing your insights on that and uh, your wonderful stories. It's been lovely to meet you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favor? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com. 